Hi, welcome back to Make Do. I'm Julia Scott. And I'm Tiff Arment. And we're joined today by friend of the pod, John Syracuse, who's also a man of the pod. Uh, he hosts ATP, Reconcilable Differences, and Robot or Not. And you joined us on this year's amazing member special where you coached us through recreating a mystery art piece. I did. I hope this episode is uh, less hard work than that one was. <laughs> for all involved. For you or for us. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, though. And I hope that the listeners have had a chance to to check it out. If you haven't checked it out, you need to because this mystery you art piece have is to. quite the mystery. It, it's, it's a turn of events <laughs> you would not expect. Uh, all right. Uh, John, do you consider yourself an artist? Oh, God, dude, we jump right in the deep end. Do I consider myself an artist? I mean, I suppose so. <laughs> this is the kind of non-committal <laughs> answer that is perfect for the show, I guess. I, I suppose so, because I'm not going to say no because of the amount of my life that I've spent making art, but uh, you didn't add any qualifiers like a professional artist or a serious artist or whatever, so I'm just going to say yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> oh, look at you. See, it took us like three years to say that, <laughs> and, and you're just jumping right in. Well, That's because you didn't do awesome. like all, all the qualifiers, because I feel like it, when people say that with no qualifiers, you think, uh, well, I don't wear a beret. Uh, you know, I'm, or I, I don't do this for a living. Nobody pays me for it or whatever. Or I don't I don't paint or whatever preconceptions people have associated with that word, but it's so broad with no qualifiers. I mean, like, arguably, podcasting is a form of making art. And, you know, but just because when we say artist with no qualifiers, you have to have like a palette in your hand and be painting on a canvas as far as some people are concerned. Or because there's no qualifiers that allows the other person to then tell you what they actually feel about the word. Yeah. Or, or they correct and say, no, no, <laughs> what I meant is like, yeah, and then they'll add qualifiers, right? Because you say yes. And they're like, oh, well, tell me about the last whatever you made. And you're like, well, not that kind of artist. And they, you know, Tell me about your latest exhibition. <laughs> right. Yeah. I do like thinking about it with qualifiers or not, because it is kind of easier to answer. And then it kind of puts you on the... Uh, I don't I don't know. It it puts you on the offensive. Is that how sports work? Defensive? Offensive. Yeah, puts you on the <laughs> oh, offensive. <laughs> you like, learned so much from that top four episode. <laughs> sports. Uh <laughs> it does. It like kind of puts you in the driver's seat of deciding like what you're calling yourself. And I really like that. I never thought of it like that before, that those qualifiers are the things that give us the anxiety about what to call ourselves. But if someone just blanket asks you, Are you an artist? I mean, heck yeah, say uh, yes, right? Like, why not? I mean, like, in there, yeah. obviously, the context here is the Make Do podcast. And if you're familiar with the Make Do podcast, the answer to that question, you know, is always Ray, yes. when, Ray, when someone <laughs> asks you if you're an artist, you say yes. <laughs> or you say and run away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we're trying not to do that. We're trying to say, yes, I am an artist. Well, I and I also like it with because without qualifiers, because it is kind of a yes, no question, it takes a lot more to say a definitive no if you are someone who makes stuff yeah or, or even or even if you're not like i mean yeah so i said like you know i'm a podcaster and podcasting is arguably art as are many other creative endeavors but that's like oh well you're stretching the definition but like i said i i have you know sometimes i will list a writer or technical writer or something as one of my things that i do but i haven't actually done any serious writing other than my blog for, for ages but i did you know many many years of serious writing and so i count that right and so that's why i'm counting like the years literal years of my life spent very dedicated to doing what anyone would look at and think oh that's what an artist does and even if i'm not doing that right now which we can talk about in a bit 
I did do that for a long time, so that counts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think more of us need to count our pasts and not be, um, I don't know, shamed that we aren't doing the things currently that we define ourselves as because we should take ownership of the things that we have done and are capable of doing. And just because we aren't doing them now doesn't mean it's not part of us. Yeah. Do you consider yourself artistic then? Definitely, yes. <laughs> That's no question. There, I feel like that. I, I just feel like there's so many people out there who don't know John, this side of John, like that they have no idea that he is an artistic, creative person, and they only hear you, you know, complaining about game controllers on podcasts, and they know you as an eloquent speaker, but they don't really know you as a creative making person, especially in the traditional sense of art. Yeah, I mean, like. I think it comes out if you listen to, I mean, obviously what I'm, the topics I'm talking about don't sound very arty, but I, the way I approach the world or judge things around me is very much with a traditional visual artistic bent. Um, even when it comes to things like game controllers or whatever, like I, my eye is very sensitive to the visual appearance of things. Uh, and you know, not everyone is like that and people have different sort of, uh, ways that they judge things, but that's how I approach everything it's part of the reason i'm into apple stuff because in general they tend to be pretty uh, and i appreciate that and a lot of the reason i've been a dedicated apple fan for so long is even during the times when the other aspects of apple were crappy and there were many of those times i value so much the sort of quote-unquote traditional artistic visual art system of you know uh quality that i was able to overlook all the other things so incompatibility slowness high price so on and so forth and i think that is one of the, f the defining characteristics of diehard Apple users is that I feel like they do have a, you know, visually artistic bent. But even just even just walking around and I'm looking at buildings or trees or anything like that, I'm always viewing the world through that lens. Not so much like, oh, here, how am I going to draw that? Or how am I going to paint that? But just very sensitive to uh, how things appear. And I think also that I mean, the obvious joke is that, you know, Steve Jobs didn't wear a beret, but he did wear a black turtleneck. But, you know, that that also a lot of people who work in creative fields use Macs because they're so associated with uh, with editing video or being able to do lots of designy stuff with with the components as well. Yeah, Apple tries to embody those values to say there is more to whatever endeavor you're doing than just uh, here is the thing that gets done in the most utilitarian way for the least amount of money with the best performance. Everything about Apple has always been about, yes, and also our advertising has to be nicely composed and our computers need to be uh, ha have a consistent style and our user interface needs to sort of look of a piece and be attractive. And none of that really has anything specifically to do with video editing, but the people who are tuned in to be video editors or pursue any other creative thing appreciate surrounding themselves with things that give off that vibe. And that's, you know, obviously that is not powerful enough to overcome all barriers, which is why Apple has at various times in its history been down in the dumps in terms of you know, it's customer base or whatever, but that vibe is part of what attracts creative people to the Apple world. And I feel like also, because Tiff, you said that like people maybe don't know that. And I think like you do think of people in the context where you originally or mainly know them, but I feel like there's also this idea that people have one thing. Uh, and then they could be things that sort of slot into that. Like if you're into tech stuff, then you're maybe also into science fiction, but you definitely can't also paint. You know, like there's this weird idea that if you are on, 
into the hard sciences, you can also be into the soft sciences or the art. Do you, do you feel like people are surprised if they find out that you paint? Yeah, I mean, that gets into uh, how much of this stuff I do now, which is very little. Um, and th the reason that ties into it is, like, I think I've talked about this on uh, a couple of my other podcasts in the past, but when I was when I was young, I did a lot of stuff with what you would what people would think of as traditional fine arts, right? Um, but when I was young, I also had tons of hobbies. Uh, you know, yes, I did all the fine art stuff, but I made model airplanes. I made remote control cars. I dabbled into woodworking. I was, of course, into computers. I played video games. Like, I climbed trees. Like, I built forts. Like, I did, you know, when you're a kid, you do all the things, right? Um, and as I've gotten older and became an adult and got a job and had a family and stuff like that, most of my, you know, if I had listed my hobbies when I was 12, most of those had to fall away because there are other important things you have to do like you know have a job and raise a family and there's not enough time in the day to do every single thing but i don't those things don't stop being part of my personality and makeup because i spent so long on them and i still have the the aptitudes and tastes that were developed when doing them but you know there's you know the the, the scope of your life it doesn't narrow, but it broadens into other things. Because when I was, you know, making model uh, airplanes, I was not raising two children, and raising two children takes a lot of time, <laughs> a lot of energy, and a lot of effort. And so you have to give up something. Uh, for a while there, I was giving up sleep, but that's not really sustainable. <laughs> um, uh, and I picked up new things too. Like when I was, you know, a twelve-year-old, I wasn't writing, you know, technical articles about macOS, and that's the thing that I added. So things had to get dropped away, and lots of my hobbies and quote-unquote identities dropped away not just like oh he's a person who draws or he's a person who paints it's also he's a person who makes remote control cars or model airplanes or you know that that also dropped away it just depends on how much were those part of my identity and if anyone who knew me when i was young would probably feel very comfortable identifying me with an artistic bent because from the youngest age the thing that adults told me is you're going to be an artist when you grow up that people told me that since i was five years old it was the thing that adults told me and when you're five years old and every adult in your life says oh you're going to be an artist when you grow up you kind of accept it it's like well that's what all the adults are saying i'm going to be an artist when i grow up uh you know what they meant speaking of artists with no qualifiers what they meant was someone will pay you to make drawings or paintings or whatever or illustrations right uh that turned out mostly not to be the case but telling any kid you're going to be an artist when you grew up is an interesting way to sort of imprint on their personality and i feel like kid, if you were in first grade with me and you didn't remember who i was they would say i was the kid who was drawing battlestar galactic galactic vipers on his notebooks you remember that kid or the kid who could draw then maybe they would remember me and they wouldn't know this later context of was the person who talks about Apple on podcasts or whatever. This early kind of indication of you're going to be this blank when you grow up. I think that that, that kind of helps in your adult life. It be easier to say, yeah, I'm an artist because you grew up with that qualifier. Like someone gave you that qualifier. They already said like, you are this thing. Like I remember when I was younger, I was really into writing and everyone told me I was going to be a writer when I grew up. Am I? No, I am not. But for some reason, if I started writing right now, I'd feel much more comfortable calling myself a writer than I would calling myself an artist because I feel like I worked really hard at being an artist and I wasn't always associated with that. But 
someone in my past would always tell me you're this, you're this, you're this. So like you stick with that. I don't know. I wonder if that has something to do with the idea that you're just like, yeah, of course I'm artistic. Of course I'm an artist without qualifiers or however you want to add the qualifiers. Like because that was told to you for so long. And I'm curious if like other people who find themselves being artsy people and kind of gravitate towards doing art and are able to call themselves artists more easily. Were you like the art kid? So it's always been a part of you. Like, of course I'm an artist. I'm I'm the art kid. I was the art kid. I grew up as the <laughs> art kid. Like, how could I not be this? And I think like anyone who gets those labels young, you either fight to like break away from it or it becomes like an easy thing to associate because it's just something you've always been told. It's like a fact. It's like, yes, I have brown hair. Yes, I'm the art kid. Yeah, it, it, I feel like adults, when they see aptitude of any kind in any person of a certain age, they they try to encourage it by sort of positively affirming and say, wow, you're going to be a great writer when you grow up, or I bet you're going to be a famous photographer or whatever. Like That's the version of adults encouraging. And the younger the kid, the more adults are willing to do that. I also remember being told that, hey, maybe do you think you're going to be a writer? You know, because when I got to like middle school or high school, uh, you know, people in my life would think I could write. But but when you're that age, they don't tell you you're going to be a writer. They ask you, oh, do you think you're going to pursue writing? What do you mm -hmm. think you're going to major in in college? Like, or do you think do you want to be a writer? But when you're when you're five, they just tell you flat out, you're going to be an artist. And I feel like the the flip side of that is the disappointment that many many of my relatives in my life including my own parents have when it turns out you don't you're not like the person they envisioned you know when you were five they said you're going to be an artist and it's like they realize uh you didn't grow up to have art gallery exhibitions and put a beret on your head and do all that stuff that that didn't happen and so that manifests in relatives and parents saying so disappointed that you never do your art anymore and they, they reminisce about when you when you were young and you used to make all these paintings and drawings that they still have in their house like why don't you do that anymore right stop trying to monetize like, my hobby <laughs> but i feel like because it's because it, it's also like this this the curse of the gifted child like if you're really good at something as a kid that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be exponentially still better than everyone else at 25. But I feel like also a lot of the times it's the same adults who will be super encouraging and tell you that you're going to be, you know, a, a famous artist one day. Well, then around 15 be like, well, you know, you can't make a living as an artist. You should probably go to school for chemistry or something. Yeah, that's the flip side of that is we say, well, I know we all told you you're going to be an artist when you grow up, but it's time to find a serious profession because artists starve to death, right? And I got that same, I got all sides of that from all of my relatives. They say, well, you can't actually be an artist because, you know, no no one can make a living at doing that. But it's so disappointing that you're not an artist. Because <laughs> they want, you know, they, they want like their picture of you is whatever talent you had when you were young, whatever thing you were precocious about. And, and they're, they want to see you succeed in that particular way. And yeah, having an aptitude at something, uh, like you just said, it really doesn't necessarily mean that you, that curve is going to continue. And it also doesn't mean that it would be a thing that you would enjoy doing for money, which is an important qualifier. Like mm -hmm. doing something, oh, do what you love is your job. But it depends on the thing. Sometimes, like I, I thought of that uh, when I was thinking, you know, when I got a little bit older and the question started to shift a little bit of like, uh, what kind of artist do you think you're going to be? And I would go through all of the, the positions I was aware of that involves my supposed aptitudes in drawing or whatever and it's like well 
I know illustration is kind of like a commercial version of being an artist, and you see lots of advertisements and stuff that uh, that have illustrations in them, but that didn't interest me at all. I didn't want to draw things for ads for Tylenol, right? I didn't want to do that. Uh, There was the more creative ones, which felt more like I'm going to be a Major League Baseball player. It's like, I'm going to be... Uh, you know, I'm going to make comic books or I am going to be a famous fine artist. It's like, okay, there's like 10 of those positions that make enough money. And, you know, <laughs> like it's, yeah, oh, not 10, but like, it's like trying to say, I'm really good at baseball. Therefore, I'm going to be major league baseball. It's like, well, there are a limited number of those slots, right? There are, you know, hundreds or thousands of people who are commercial artists for doing illustrations for whatever magazine ads, but there are very few people who are just famous for being an artist and make their living, you know, drawing a famous comic book character, or even just being an animator for, you know, Disney or something like that. That felt more like setting your sights on being a, a major league baseball player. And I was so pragmatic. I'm like, okay, well, that's not going to happen. It's clear to me that whatever aptitude I might have, it's, I'm, I'm too scared of failure to pursue. You're going to be one of the people, one of the famous people who gets paid to do art like that. And the final thing is I had lots of other interests. Art wasn't the only one. I was into computers. I was into writing. I was into, you know, uh, architecture and, you know, engineering and all in physics and all these different things. And a lot of those things had a way better job prospects as I got older. Uh, and in the end, I, the thing that had the best job prospect, best combination of job prospects and the thing I was probably more interested in, practically speaking, which was computers, ended up being what I pursued as my profession but who i am as a person i don't feel like has changed based on that and it's not like i sadly abandoned art or anything like that i'm really like computers <laughs> it's it's the it's, it's the thing that won because i'm super into it and i i love it a lot but i still love all the other stuff as well i think a good good difference to keep in mind though is that unlike uh sportsing you don't necessarily like you're not out of the game by the time you're 35 you can still keep writing and you can uh get into writing or painting later in in life and if it makes you feel better even being like an accomplished published writer with books under my belt you can still disappoint your parents you're never going to make them happy yeah i mean you know parents older people have different criteria for success like i was writing all those articles for ars technica and you know they they would see it as a curiosity it's some form of success but of course they only recognize success in the form of a book they can hold in their hand and i hadn't written one of those and so i was like yeah yeah he does this thing where he writes about computers for something called a website i don't whatever like it's not (laughs) it, it never it never is quite satisfying and even even to yourself sometimes you can have that kind of uh criteria but yeah they i don't think they their conception of me was more like oh you have this artistic talent and this is your one true gift and everything else you do is just something you sort of pursued because it was later in life and it's like okay fine it's good that you have a job where you don't have to support you but uh you know you should do more paintings i feel sometimes like i just want to hug everyone who has parents uh but did you grow up in an artistic family i mean kind of so my my grandfather, my father's father, uh, since you know, since I was alive, uh, was a creative person, and he also did paintings and drawings. Right, like we had when I was a kid, a, one of his paintings in my house. It was a, a bullfighter who looked suspiciously like my father. Uh, you know, with the big red cape and the big bull coming and the big bull arena. It was a very large painting. It was like dominated the living room. And my grandfather made that. If you went to my grandfather's house, you would see his paintings on the wall, his drawings and paintings on the wall. And my grandfather was also super into woodworking and he had this wood shop and he would build things for us out of wood and like toys and stuff, right? So that I feel like is 
the main sort of artistic through line, genetically speaking, in my family. That Those genes mostly skipped my father. Uh, he was a civil engineer and liked to build things, and he also had his own shop and stuff like that, but didn't really, can't actually draw if you ever played Pictionary with him. It's not, those skills are not in him. Um, and was never into I like that art. as a measure, though. Well, hey, you Pictionary know, skills and drawing skills are two oh, different things. Well, when... <laughs> Like, when do you get, if someone doesn't pursue it as a hobby, when do you ever get an opportunity to see whether someone can draw something that looks like a chair, right? <laughs> you don't really have that opportunity. <laughs> Pictionary is the only opportunity in daily life where someone will you, have a demand put upon them to draw something that is recognizable. Granted, it's under time pressure and granted, whatever. But anyway, and my mother, I think that's where I mostly got my writing slash talking genes because she's very, you know, very gabby and articulated and opinionated but also has never done anything in the visual arts. And, and even like in terms of like, you know, knitting, crocheting or any sort of creative endeavor, she did those to the degree that society demanded that she do them as a, as a baby boomer parent. But, uh, you know, and, and she, you know, never really pursued them uh, doggedly. Um, even when she made like, she makes stockings for all the, the family members and knits them and everything like that. She's not super into it. She does it because it's a thing that she can do for her kids and it's, it uses a skill that she has, but it's not, it's not her passion. So my grandfather is the only relative that I can identify as clearly like me. He's also, by the way, the reason that we ended up getting a Mac because he got a Mac. Uh, my He and my uncle got Macs and they convinced my parents to get us a Mac. So I, I owe a lot to my uh, grandfather. So your kids are a little older now. I don't know if you're back to, to sleeping regularly, but are you, what, what do you do today for like artsy makey hobbies? I don't know. Um, I do still enjoy writing i even though i have a website and whenever i have something i want to write i put it on the website but it really needs to squeeze itself into a, a desirable time slot that that is the, probably the biggest sort of creative artistic drive that i have that is not fulfilled by regular activity because i podcast all the time right and that is an important outlet for me creatively because i do tech podcasts but i also do podcasts that are not about tech i don't know what they're about i mean what is reconcilable differences about but it's not about tech right so I, you know, in uh, Casey List parlance, he's got his podcast about his feelings, and he's got his tech podcast. And I feel like Rectifs is my feelings <laughs> podcast. And then Robot or Not, I have no idea what that is. I would say that Rectifs is your podcast about feelings and strong feelings. <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, are there any of the kind? Um, <laughs> but but writing, like I used to write, I used to have sort of an annual, semi-annual, big, you know, forty thousand word Mac OS ten review exhaustively researched or whatever. And that may seem like, oh, it's like writing a term paper. It's not creative, but I always viewed that as a creative pursuit. Like I was trying to tell a story. I was trying to have insights and articulate them and make people feel things in my Mac OS ten reviews. But whether that comes through or not, that's what I was trying to do. And I, I still have that urge. So I do want to write more than I do. And that's the thing. Like I'm always I have like a little, you know, quote unquote blog ideas note where I have things that I might want to write about. Practically speaking, what happens is if I feel super passionately about something so much so that it just has to come out and it just bursts out of me all at once, that's how writing fits in the gaps. And sometimes it's silly, stupid things, right? Or things that I put off that have been on the blog ideas list for like five years and like, just just write it. Uh, don't, you know, whatever. And so that I still, you know, pursue. In terms of drawing, painting, or any of the other things I used to do, I think I might have burn myself out a little bit on that as a teenager. I don't know if that's possible. It's some, sometimes it's kind of how I feel. It's not that I used it all up. It's just that I was 
so heavily into it. It was like the only thing I did with my free time for a while was drawing and painting. And and a part of it has to do with my my history of actual formal art lessons from the age of eight until about 16, which is not that long. It's only eight years, but those are eight really, really important years. And I went to private art lessons because my parents were uh, upper middle class and could afford to uh, encourage my hobbies or whatever, whatever the parenting books told them to do, where your kids show some aptitude, pay money for someone else to help them learn how to do it better. I went every single week for my entire life from basically eight to 16 to private art lessons. And I sort of, you know, to use video game parlance, pursued that skill tree uh, <laughs> to, you know, the, the RPG skill tree, stepping through all different media and skills or whatever, uh, very diligently. And I think, I think this happens. And you're with, like, you ma- you maxed out all your points and now you're like, there's nothing left for me to do. No, I didn't max it out. But <laughs> what I did, it's kind of like, you know, like say kids are like good at, uh, you know, ice skating or something, or figure skating. And they're like, okay, well, you're going to take figure skating lessons starting when you're eight, when you're too young to even know whether this is the thing you want to do. And you do it like every single week for your entire life through, you know, eight through 16 unless you're super duper into figure skating and you want to do it professionally or whatever, there can be a backlash effect where it's like, you're almost like over encouraged and over supported. And you're like, I just wanted to have fun. Yeah. yeah. Or I, or there are other things I want to do. Right. Like I, and it, Mm. it can feel a little bit like an obligation at a certain point. Um, or like you can't remember choosing it. Like you enjoy it. You like it. You, you are a skill, you're skilled at it, but there's almost kind of the relief of like, uh, what if I didn't have it every single week? Um, and it's not like I maxed out anything. It's not like I got as good as I could get. But when I got older and, and ever more pragmatic and was interested in other things, it's like, is this skill tree the thing that's going to carry me through the rest of my life in terms of I eventually have to get a job or whatever, which is a big, big anxiety with me? Like, how am I going to support myself? Um, and my answer to that very quickly was no, because I couldn't think of any professional artist job that I would enjoy doing. Not that I couldn't do one. Like, I could have, if I wanted to be you know, a a quote unquote illustrator or whatever. Like I, I could have pursued that and I feel like I could have made a living doing that, but I didn't want to, I wanted to do other things more. Right. So very often I will look back at my body of work or whatever and say, I enjoyed all of that, but the thought of, it's kind of like the Mac OS 10 reviews, like for 15 years writing, you know, 50,000 word things about Mac OS 10, I love doing that, but the thought of doing another one kind of gives me a little bit of a, uh, I'm not going to say Agita? PTSD, but yeah, like, like, because <laughs> just, and, and it, it was just, it's just so much work and I put so much time and energy into it that I don't, I don't relish doing it again. I feel like you see that a lot in like kids and, and teen movies or shows where someone who is the star, usually athlete, like, you know, they, they sprain their ankle or break their leg or tear their shoulder or something and then there's this relief like the rival who has gotten hurt comes up and they're like i really didn't want to do this anyway but like they couldn't really stop yeah that's, that's i feel like the backlash effect is is real and the other thing is this is sort of the cornerstone of my podcasting and writing and i don't know it's like a nexus point for it um is a back when i was writing for ars technica i also had a blog on ars technica uh and Back in 2009-ish, I wrote a post on on my personal blog in Ars Technica called, Hyper, called Hypercritical. And it starts, like the beginning, aside from being a Goodfellas reference, it starts talking about how everyone would tell me that I was going to be an artist when I grew up. 
Uh, and it goes through sort of me thinking about what what is it the what is the aptitude that I had that adults saw in me when I was very young and that helped me pursue all these things, not just art. And I tie it into Steve Jobs and Apple and so on and so forth. And my conclusion after all of that was that my main skill, if you keep generalizing and doing a five whys thing and saying, yeah, but why are you good at that? Yeah, but why are you good at that? Is, is my ability to tell when something is wrong and what specifically is wrong. And then from that stems the ability to correct it, whether that be writing a sentence or drawing a line or whatever, if you can't actually see what's wrong with it, and you see this in fine arts a lot, if you just ask someone to draw something and it looks all misshapen and you ask them, okay, what's wrong with this? They can't tell you. They'll, they, anyone can know, does this look like a great rendition of whatever they were drawing? They could say, nah, it's not great or it's all right or whatever. They say, okay, but what's wrong with it? And people go, I don't know, it just doesn't look right, <laughs> right? <laughs> and my and same thing with anything, whether, you know, writing a sentence, like that sentence sounds weird. Okay, what's wrong with it? I don't know, it's just not a great sentence. Um, that that skill, my, my ability to identify things that are wrong, that skill slash curse, to identify things that are wrong and actually be able to specifically articulate what is wrong about them, the legs are too short, right? Uh, one arm is longer than the other. Uh, the eyes are in the wrong place on the head, right? This sentence has the same adjective repeated twice, and it seems awkward. Find a synonym or break it into two sentences. Like the ability to know what's wrong is the first step in being able to fix it. And I've leveraged that particular skill in all realms of my pursuits. Computer programming, obviously, you need to know what's wrong and, and figure out how to fix it. Otherwise, your computer program won't run. And that I felt like was the root of my artistic skill as well. Because if you start with that and you're a kid and you try to draw Godzilla and then halfway through drawing you look at it and you're like godzilla doesn't look right a if you can figure that out as a kid that's great because a lot of kids don't realize what they're drawing it doesn't look good <laughs> and then b you could say <laughs> it doesn't look right because the mouth is the wrong shape because the head is the wrong shape because you shouldn't be able to see both eyes from this angle because like you have to actually know and then you can take an eraser and go oh i'll fix that you know and then that's how you progress right so this hypercritical post was, I parlayed this to my first podcast, which is the hypercritical podcast, so named and conceived, uh, you know, uh, based on this article, which was about everything that's wrong in the tech sector. And, you know, I, it, my Mac OS 10 articles arguably were about what was wrong with the Mac operating system. And, you know, so everything kind of spins out of that. And that might not seem like a very artistic thing because people don't like the idea of finding fault with yourself with other people's things like it, it's generally like it doesn't that kill creativity you shouldn't you know if you want to encourage someone to be creative don't tell them everything that's wrong with their thing and if you have that voice inside your own head telling you what's wrong with your things how can you be creative and i feel like that is the creative process as far as i'm concerned <laughs> is trying to do something looking at it finding what's wrong and then fixing it like that's how you make your creative thing better like if i think about what is the experience of doing a painting it's mostly experience of like, yeah, there's the doing of the painting, but the pausing between strokes to look at it and see what's wrong and fix it. That's the painting, right? I mean, that's what so much. So many people don't talk about the process, right? Like that's <laughs> uh, like the so many things. It's like you see, oh, here's my sketch and here is this perfect finished painting like <laughs> versus and they don't show you how often you end up correcting things in between it's constantly just like moving things around moving this line moving that line moving this line and i think like the way you articulated that is really important and um a professor i was just taking an online digital drawing class with really 
um, also pointed that out. And he's like, there's so much like smudging it this way, smudging it that way, changing this, changing that. And it looks like you are just constantly doing something wrong. And the majority of the process is just you fixing your own mistakes over and over and over until it's not a mistake anymore. And it's, uh, it's definitely one of those things that it, it, like you said, it's an important part of deciding if you are an artistic person and a making person, because I feel like if you enjoy that part of the problem solving, whether you are programming something for, you know, a computer program, or you are making a painting, it is like the process of I'm going to get this right. I'm enjoying the idea of finding my way through this problem and coming out the other side with a solution. Yeah, and I think it's really cool. That's the game loop, right? It's the game loop yep. of programming. You write a line of code, you try to run it, it doesn't work. You fix it, you try to run it, it doesn't work. You fix it, you try to run it, it doesn't work. Or like the people say, most of writing is editing, which is true. It's like you write it, it's bad. You edit it, try to make it better. You read it again, it's bad. You edit it, try to make it better. And obviously the progression is hopefully if you've done this many, many times, you don't make the same mistakes over and over again. So when you're drawing when you draw a similar subject multiple times, maybe the fifth time you draw it, you don't accidentally make this part of it the wrong size, right? Because you, you made that mistake already, right? And that's how you progress. But always, like if you ever, here's the thing, if you ever get to the point where you do a thing, whether it's writing a sentence, writing a program, drawing a picture, and you can't find fault with it, you're at the end of your skills. Because how are you ever going to make it better? Because you think, I see nothing wrong with this. Uh, if you're right, you're the world's best artist, but probably you're not. Probably there's things wrong with it you can't see or things that you feel like there's something wrong with it but you don't, you can't put your finger on it. You're like, what's like, I don't know what to fix about this, but there's something off. And that is an incredibly frustrating feeling to me. So like, like I said, the main thing I've pursued in my life is be able to know what's wrong. Sometimes frustratingly, I can know what's wrong and not be able to fix it. This mm -hmm. happens with writing hey. and, and fine arts. It's like, you know, I know that this sentence is bad in these ways, but you know, in writing, sometimes you get married to an idea like, but I need to express this idea, but it doesn't fit in well. And it's like, well, you should just rip that idea out. No, I don't want to kill my darlings. Oh, it's very upsetting. And withdrawing the same thing, you're like, okay, this, the nose is wrong. I can see it's wrong. And I kind of know the nose is wrong because it looks bent or it looks like it's dented in this area, but I can't figure out how to fix it. You keep trying to draw it a different one. You're like, that's different, but wrong in a different way. And you, that's kind of a frustrating, <laughs> but up to that point, that's sort of the game loop of do uh, analyze correct do analyze correct is very satisfying it's the reason we like you know sort of video games where you grind where it looks like you're just doing something repeatedly but the satisfaction of getting your garden or whatever set up just so in your you know stardew valley is the reason we pursue that game loop and the same thing with you know pursuing writing or art or drawing uh to try to improve and be more and more satisfied with the product i remember that i remember walking the skill tree i remember every sort of drawing I would do and stick on my bedroom wall as a kid would look better than the last. And that was an incredibly enticing sort of game loop that I would pursue, right? I think it's a matter of finding your, as you say, finding the game loop that you want to be invested in the most and that you find the most joy in. Like that's how people find their craft or their project or the thing they want to be artistic with or, you know, their passion. Because I think almost anything people do has that has that game loop has that progression of this is something I want to get better at and this is something I don't mind being bad at like the part the being bad at it and solving the problems within this area 
it just it it makes me happy. This is where I'm happy. This is where I'm I'm happy being emerged in this pursuit. And even if it's not going well, I'm still having a good time figuring it out. And that's how people pick their passions, I guess, right? Yeah, I think you have to see some success, though. And that's the, that's the tricky part. Like, there are plenty of things you can imagine doing that I'm terrible at. Let's just take an easy one. Singing. I can't sing. I can't carry a tune, right? Um, yeah, but does it make you happy to, like, sit and, like, oh, okay, I'm going to work through this every single day, right, like, like, all the time? You're like, nah, I don't need to do cause, that. Because you, cause you don't, <laughs> I can never get over that first hurdle of, like, I am a terrible singer, and being subject to terrible singing, even if it's coming from your own mouth, is not pleasant. And so you never quite get over <laughs> the hump to even to competence, right? Compared right, to something just like... Because it, is something you can learn doesn't mean you'll want to learn it yeah and you have like i feel like there's a baseline level of sort of you need to get into the game loop the positive feedback loop uh to give another example guitar playing um i was never into guitar uh, at all until i went off to college and seemingly everybody on my floor freshman year in my dorm had a guitar and so it was there were lots of people ready and willing to teach me to pick up something i'm a terrible guitar player i can't play anything but i was able enough to plink out something that was vaguely satisfying that I got over the initial hump of can play nothing to the point of can play a few chords very badly, right? Because there was enough <laughs> of a fun feedback loop there. Not enough for me to pursue it as, you know, cause it became apparent that you're never going to be a great guitarist or whatever, but unlike singing or whatever, it's like, well, I, I got into a level where I can do something that pleases me. Right. But hey, even, you and I are the same kind of guitar player. High five. <laughs> I guarantee that you're better than me. But <laughs> but but the whole point is marginally like, like for, for me, guitar, like even if I got to the point where no one would ever want to actually hear me play anything, I enjoyed hearing little plinky things from the guitar. And that me, made me want to pursue it uh, a little bit more. You know what I mean? And that's that's all it takes to get into that game loop. So there's plenty of people who have paintings that they hang around their house that no one ever wants to see. But if it makes them happy to put them in and they walk into a room and see their own painting that is objectively awful, but that they smile when they see it because they, <laughs> they are proud of it. And they, I mean, that's how I feel about all my paintings hanging in my house. I don't expect someone to come in and say, wow, look at that painting. I expect people to come in and go, that's awful. I would never hang that on my house, but they make me smile. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the, well, I don't want to do spoilers, but anyway, <laughs> uh, like that's what it takes to be. I feel like, you are an artist if you if that if you if you have that feeling if you if you are able to create something and you feel like you've expressed yourself into the world with a thing even if everyone else thinks that thing is awful if you feel like you've accomplished something even if you think you can do better or whatever like that is that that's an important part of being an artist if you're like no matter how much you may look back at something and say oh that thing I did uh, a long time ago wasn't good or that thing I wrote a long time ago I cringe when I read it still the satisfaction of saying but it is a thing i created and i you know it was the best i could do at the time and i felt that satisfaction i felt the closing of the loop i tried to do a thing i saw it was wrong i fixed it the best i could i put it out into the world that loop did close right and i think that's that that's a thing that i hold on to for all my creative stuff i have this sudden thought that for a members episode the three of us should just play guitar together over <laughs> no. Skype. Oh my no, god, no one wants no, to hear no that. No one wants to hear that from That's me, upsetting. I can tell you that. <laughs> I, I would like to just for the record say that I am pretty much where you are too. So just like it's not like I I want to impress anyone in this in this uh, scenario. We yeah. could be called the three chords. We only know <laughs> three chords. <laughs> what, one one of the aptitude this is one of sort of the foundational aptitude things. Um and this is the thing I don't have like I don't have any rhythm uh, and I can't sing the thing is, when I hear something else played back, I can tell that's the wrong note. 
and I can tell that's not in rhythm. But when I'm doing it myself, I have zero awareness. So oh, a, a pretty important <laughs> part of music is keeping time, and I just absolutely cannot do it. And not only can I not do it, I can't tell that I'm doing it wrong. Until if you record it and played it back, I'd be like, oh my god, this is awful. Why is there a 10-second pause between chords? Like, well, I was trying to find it. But when I'm in the moment, I can't tell that it's wrong, which means, which tells me, according to my value system, that you are far from ever being able to do this, and it's clearly you could get better at it and learn to do it and pursue it but clearly whatever sort of natural aptitude that some people have for keeping rhythm you do not have that so if you're going to pursue this you're going to have to put in a lot of work to do something that comes natural to other people and i feel like people feel that way about fine arts and drawing but like whatever it is lets you be able to draw something simple without thinking about it i don't have that and i feel like it would be a lot of work for me to pursue it so i'm not going to and i'm just going to to label myself as the person who can't do art or can't draw, you know, or can't sing or can't play guitar or can't keep rhythm or whatever it is that people people like to label themselves as the things they can't do. I'm I'm not good at math, right? I, you know, like there are certain categories that are cliches for a reason. I can't sing is definitely one of those cliche things. And I think I can't draw as one as well. There are sort of categories in life that people close off to themselves because they can never get over that first hurdle and sometimes like oh that's such a shame everyone can draw everyone can sing no not everyone can sing <laughs> not everyone can draw and it's fine to not pursue every single creative thing to the nth degree find a thing that you like to be your creative outlet and pursue that yeah it's interesting because when people say like everyone can sing everyone can draw what they mean is if you give it enough you know time and miserable practice into something that you don't actually care about you can become almost decent at it which is like Nobody cares. Okay, most people don't care enough about being able to draw a passable chair to spend 10 years with a private tutor. Yeah, and if, because the loop doesn't close them. They don't have a, a pleasing game loop. It's, you know, so there's no, it just, it just seems like misery and work. It's like, well, there's a million things I could do this for. Name any kind of pursuit, any, literally anything uh, that I can't do, I could doggedly pursue it and get better at it but why why would i do that there's a, there's a whole world of possibilities why would i pursue th something that i don't enjoy that doesn't connect back that i don't feel that little that little glimmer of enjoyment from getting a little bit better um i think the reason you hear the anyone can sing anyone can draw is that people who are who really are passionate about that creative endeavor are frustrated by how many people close it off to themselves and i think that is true because it's a cliche because there are certain specific things that in our society you're allowed to just declare that you can't do and so you know how to pursue that does stop people who actually would be good at it like for singing maybe you're just super embarrassed about hearing your voice but it turns out you're a naturally gifted singer it's a shame if you never are able to make that leap because you're just terrified about you know putting yourself out there in that way and the same is true for drawing or you know or you know uh, playing the guitar or anything else so i think that instinct comes from a good place like let's you know because we have an easy out in our society for certain things that it's easy to declare that we can't do, that's denying certain people from something that they would enjoy. But it's certainly not universal. I feel I feel better about myself now. Uh, if if you if you could sort of reinsert something more sort of traditionally artistic into your life now, uh, what would it be? Do you miss making model planes? I mean, I. The thing that I think I would probably insert is uh, what the kids call digital art, uh, because I I predated the all kids. of that. <laughs> yeah, I like I never 
so this, this is another weird sort of disappointing thing right so i did art when you know when i was eight years old or whatever like that was like in the in the 80s right so computer art was not so much of a thing um so all of my sort of formal artistic training is was just like you know actual paints and pencils and pastels and you know physical media and when computers came along and i was super into them predictably lots of the adults in my life said oh you'll be able to make computer art because you're a great artist and you should use this you know all the excuses that parents give for like why they're gonna pay so much money to get their kids a computer whatever it may be with me it was like you'll be able to use the computer for art and i saw an attraction to it as well uh it's basically the same reason i love writing on computers because you can backspace forever and it never wears through the paper uh, and backspacing is a big part of my writing <laughs> and so with art it's like oh great i could correct over and over again right but even you know by the time i got a color mac that i could do something in color my artistic skills were so associated with physical media that i couldn't sort of cross the chasm to how do i do something creative on the computer despite the fact that you can undo forever you can have layers you can do all these things i never forget about mastered i never got competence in the tools and this is one of those things where I never got over that hump because I would try to do it on the computer and I would, within seconds, I would say, I could do this so much easier in, with physical media. <laughs> why, why am I banging my head against Photoshop when I just have the tools right next to me and I could do this so easily because I've been doing it for my whole life at that point. Why am I banging my head against this digital art? And so I feel like if I had more time to pursue something, I would want to get over that hump. Like when I see one of those time lapses that Tiff does with digital art, I'm like, Yes, I see that's the process that I can't do where she draws something and moves it and scales it and smudges it and undoes it and redoes it. And it just, you know, it, it progresses and gets better and better and better. And it's like I stop at step point five and I say, just give me a pencil because well, I know how to use a pencil and I cannot use a tablet. What is this this plastic thing scraping across glass? That's not how I can do art. And I, And I feel like I'm sort of leaving money on the table in terms of pursuing something that is a combination of you know, computers that I love and art that I love. And I feel like I could get over that hump and actually learn to use these programs and actually create something and enjoy the benefits of like, look how easy it is to correct. Look how I can undo. Boy, don't you wish you could undo with oil paints? Yes, yes, I did wish I could undo <laughs> with oil paints. Well, if you ever are interested, I'm happy to give you a tiny crash course together or suggest some awesome uh, digital art classes that I've taken that I've really loved and have helped a ton and were a really good entryway to... You know, just kind of being like, oh, okay, I can get a handle of these tools. I know how they work. I know how this functions. And this is how you can possibly make something with it. And it's super low key. And yeah, I can help you out if you're interested. Just, you know, <laughs> ping me in the parking lot or whatever. <laughs> I have watched some YouTube videos about this topic. Usually it's when I'm trying to do something like sometimes I make the uh, shirt designs for uh, ATP merchandise mm -hmm. and then I, I'm forced to use a digital art tool. And it's not fancy there's a bunch of outlines or whatever but i get frustrated by my inability to use the tools and then i'm and then i'm watching youtube videos about how to use this program to do this thing so i've done a little bit of that but really everything i need to wait for my kids to leave the house or like it's just it's in the tile puzzle of my life uh you know julia's question was like what thing do you wish you could pursue a bit more of it's it's probably that but then for that to go in something else needs to go out and the going out is like well maybe when my kids leave and i'm all lonely i have nothing to do <laughs> Uh, I, well, maybe if you're good, Santa will bring you an iPad for Christmas. Uh, I also feel like it sounds like you need to come along to the very weird 
retreat that Tiff and I are inventing for ourselves where we have to do the thing that we haven't been doing or aren't good at, where we just harass each other into doing it for a whole day. That doesn't sound fun. I'm not going to sign up for that. (laughs) Your daughter is very artistic and artistically inclined, and she does a lot of drawing and painting. Um, Do you say the same things to her that adults said to you? Like, oh, you're going to be an artist. Do you see that in her still? So, So here's the thing. Both my kids inherited my artistic aptitude. Both of them could, you know, draw and paint way above their age level from a very, very young age. And I was fairly careful not to press too much uh like we did the you know affluent parent thing which is like anytime kids show an interest in anything oh here you go you want to be into dance we'll give you dance lessons and do this like and so both of my kids did all sorts of things but i kind of really wanted to let them decide whether this is a thing they're interested in despite the fact that my son was an amazing artist when he was very young and pursued it on his own as much as he wanted, and we gave him all the supplies and the support he wanted, he lost interest in it eventually on his own, and I didn't press him on it, despite the fact that it is clearly one of his natural skills. Occasionally, occasionally, my wife will say, oh, you never draw anything. My own mother will come in and swoop in on her grandchildren and say, oh, Alex used to do all these drawings. Why doesn't he do it anymore? He's he's so skilled. Like, multi-generational, you know, hopes and dreams. But I never told them this is what they were going to be. (laughs) My daughter, the reason you know about her being artistic is she, basically on her own, uh, started pursuing it fairly doggedly and produced a huge amount of output in, in a short amount of time. But that was all her. And eventually she switched to, like, other pursuits that she's interested in she's into cooking now she can a vegetarian she paints her nails like she does different things and i don't say oh it's a shame you should do more art because i feel like i want them to do whatever it is that they want to do um i think she's proven to her nail art is amazing yeah well we just want her to not get it on the floor in the furniture so <laughs> baby steps in the nail art <laughs> yeah but she but you know she that's just her personality she whatever thing that she's into at the time she will get super into. She has that aspect in my personality. But both of my children have this have this artistic aptitude. But I, I've never, I never want, and maybe it's a reaction against how I was raised, I never wanted to press them on it. And the result is they do it as much as they're interested in it and they stop. And sometimes as a parent or an onlooker, you can say, oh, it's a shame. You have this amazing skill. You made all these things. Why don't you pursue it? But I, I just want to mostly lay back. So my son hasn't really drawn or painted anything in ages because he's a 16-year-old now and he's got different things that he's into, right? And I don't want to make him feel bad for that. And maybe that will mean he'll come back to it later in life or maybe he won't. But, like, whatever. We only, we only get one chance with our kids. And usually how we raise them is a reaction to how we were raised. And it's not like you get do-overs and you can't undo there. So parenting is the ultimate creative endeavor and there's no undo. I don't even know what, what where to go from there. Yeah, Maybe that feels that's dark, a good man. Place to end. <laughs> I mean, we can't end there. No, I no, mean, no, there, no. there that, is a do. Uh, uh, I'm in therapy kids, though, because it's like it's it's a multi like multi talent, like multi skill set. Like it's the ultimate sort of CrossFit type thing. Like every every ounce of your you know uh, skills and patience and emotional aptitude put into this one being and you only really get one shot at it per kid and all of us are so influenced to how we were raised uh so we just try to do better um and then we make a new set of mistakes or whatever but anyway that's 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 my explanation of how, how i'm pursuing with my kids like i i love the fact that they did this i think this is one of the joys of uh, having a kid who is good at literally anything 
is as a parent you feel this totally unearned sense of pride about how they're great at this thing it's like you didn't do anything i mean you gave them your genetic material sometimes sometimes you didn't even do that but it's like they're they're their own person but you take pride in their accomplishments it's part of one of the joys of being a parent but i've been trying very hard not to not to give them hang-ups about it because you know i think also that kids as someone who doesn't have kids but who has been a child and grown up you know the kids or adults are maybe more of like a palimpsest or some you know the th- the third new painting on the same canvas and sometimes you are a spanish art restoration attempt <laughs> and sometimes you are a very good painting on top of a bad painting and sometimes you are just a very skilled restore and clean project where you use like white bread to get the dust off. Yeah. And and also part of it is like the thing that all parents feel is like my children are geniuses. They can do anything. Right. I don't like it. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't want to hem them in. Who knows? My children could be great at all sorts of things. And so let's let them discover those things that they are going to enjoy the game loops of. And, you know, it's kind of a more laid back less pressure attitude from from someone who did experience a little bit of the gifted child pressure whether this is the correct pursuit or not or whether i should be pressing them to pursue their talents i don't i don't know none of us ever know we just do the best we can but i i feel like i'm i i feel better about that approach and i temper any disappointment i might feel about like oh why don't they do more paintings because i see the, the other things that they are doing that they're enjoying all right like my kids can do anything they're all geniuses <laughs> Everyone's a genius at something, mm-hmm. maybe. That's how everyone thinks of their kids. <laughs> um, it's nice that you think that. I want to know something, John, that you, this will be our last question before we um, say goodbye to everyone. Some, uh, What's something that you're proudest of, like now, that you've made? And you can't say your kids. Yeah, because we already talked about them. We know you Can proud. you narrow that question down a little more? Like so, something that you've made, that you have have made in your life as a maker, artistic person that you're most proud of? That you feel like embodies the accomplishments that you've had in your artistic life. I mean, it's hard. I have recency bias here, so it's That's hard fine. for me. It's hard for me not to say, uh, like ATP, for example, which you know, it's a podcast where we talk about computers. But as a body of work, uh, first of all, just in the in the sort of boring aspect of it, the fact that we've been doing it regularly for a long period of time, I'm proud of. But then as a body of work, I feel like. It stands up. Or maybe you can pick hypercritical if I wanted to do not recency by hypercritical, a podcast I did for about 100 episodes many years ago, right? Or, or my Mac OS 10 reviews. There's three choices. I, I'm giving you three different answers to the question. Sort of like major bodies of work that I spent a lot of time and energy and effort and invested myself into that were all creative endeavors. And I think all of them stand up in my view uh, you know, obviously I look at them and I look at like the writing of my original Mac OS 10 reviews and it's awful and I can't stand it. But I said, but as a body of work, you accomplished a thing. And when I look back at it and I feel like I accomplished more or less what I was setting out to do at the best I could do it. Same thing with Hypercritical, which I feel like was a podcast that was very influential on me for doing it. And lots of other people tell me that they listen to it and remember it even all these years later. So even though it's about tech news and it's like, well, it's not relevant anymore. Who cares about that old stuff? part of what I was trying to do is make some aspect of it timeless. So when people go back and tell me they listen to the episode about video game controllers, again, you know, 10, 15 years after I did it, and they enjoyed it and got something of it, that makes me feel value. And same thing for ATP, which is this ongoing thing that we're doing, but it stretches back in time. And, you know, I feel like when I look back on that, 
legacy of accomplishment and the things that we things that we've done i i you know not all shows are winners but you do a new one every week it's kind of like the whole dave letterman late night thing is like well if you're not if you're not happy with the show there's going to be another one coming soon anyway so don't worry about it <laughs> but as a body of work i feel i feel proud of the thing so sort of you know my the basic sort of professional life pursuits that you that you have accomplished those major ones i do feel proud of um and it doesn't mean i don't find fault with them i absolutely do that's part of my feeling of pride is i can look back on it now and say if i had to do that now i could do a way better job and that makes me feel like i've grown the same way i look back at you know paintings or drawings that i did years and years ago and and i can say I know how I would do that better today. You know, I'm proud of the fact that I did it, but I'm also proud of the fact that I can see the problems with it and know precisely how to fix them now. And sometimes, you know, it's it it doesn't necessarily matter how happy you are with something at the time or if you in retrospect see faults with it. It's, you know, did it did it do something to the people who who consumed it? Yeah, that external validation is a big factor. I mean, you try to think it's not. It's really, oh, it's how you feel about it. It doesn't matter what other people say. But when I hear from someone who says they've gone through their third re-listen of Hypercritical again and tell me how much they enjoyed it, that makes me feel better about it. That I feel like that I am, because part of what I'm trying to accomplish is not just to make myself feel good talking to myself into a podcast microphone, is to also put something out there into the world that affects people in the way that I want. And when someone tells me years and years later that they either still think about it or just did a re-listen and enjoy it, that makes me think, yeah, you accomplished that part of what you were trying to do as well. So that also kind of partially answers the question um, as we say goodbye here and close out. Um, where can people find you, John? <laughs> All over the Internet. Yeah, this this is kind of the problem with being one of you know, talk about being a multi hobby person. What things you're into? What do you do? That list used to be long, uh, much longer, but it's still kind of long. I'm always always struggle how to define myself, even like in the, the Twitter bio. Like, what do I write in the Twitter bio? I don't want to do the thing with a series of nouns that ends in like husband and father. Right. You know, that thing like. <laughs> Uh, author artist writer yeah husband, don't write your father, chef lover like <laughs> you know <laughs> like but but the list is long right so uh it depends on how you want to find me if you want to hear me on podcasts um uh, i'm on the accidental tech podcast that uh is running every week every other week i do reconcilable differences with merlin man um uh, i do robot or not every once in a while which is these little mini bite-sized uh podcasts if you want to see my writing about once or twice a year, I write on my website, hypercritical.co. If you just want to see me tweet stuff every once in a while, I'm my last name, Syracuse, at Twitter, and I put stuff there as well. And I don't know, there it depends on how you want to pursue. If you're interested in my Perl code, there's a bunch of repositories. Like, I don't know where to stop. It's like, I'm everywhere. Anyway, I would say hypercritical.co, and if you want to learn more, click the About thing in navigation, and that will lead you to all of my other stuff. So, John, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. You open up my mind in the way that a lot of times when I talk to Julia on the show, it happens. And certainly when I talk to you, I have one of those experiences of, ah, oh, you just make my brain think a little bit differently and it makes my day better. So thanks, John. And I hope I know that you do that for a lot of your audience as well. But you can go and find our you show. You really notes. should say huh? think different. <laughs> you can go and find our show notes at relay.fm slash make do and we are make do pod on twitter and instagram and you can find us individually at tiff arment whoa things have changed <laughs> and at julia scott s-k-o-t-t but we will be back in a fortnight and until then go make and do and think a little differently and call yourself an artist because there are no qualifiers <laughs>